This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode 233. Hey friends, welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today I have a very special and interesting guest for you. His name is Charlie Petrizzo, and he is the founder and CEO of Project to Heal. Project to Heal is a nonprofit organization that breeds and raises Labrador Retriever puppies for over 25 service organizations throughout the United States. It started in 2006, and he has a fascinating life story, and this organization sounds amazing. Welcome to the podcast, Charlie. I'm really happy to have you. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'm excited to hear all about it. I, I learned a little sure. bit in preparation, but I, I there's so many questions that I have. So I'm excited about this opportunity to meet you. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So can you kind of start from the beginning of either your sure. organization or your life story sure. and kind of tell sure. us a little bit about you? Yeah. Why don't I start with my life story? I've had a little bit of a different life. Yes, you have. Um, when I was four years old, uh, I was struck by a car and I was paralyzed on the left side of my body for about a year, uh, maybe a little bit more because I had to learn how to walk again, how to use my hands again, how to use my arm again. But the challenge was I was a lefty, so I had to learn how to do oh, everything wow. righty. Yeah. And I never went back to having the same type of um, coordination, if you will on my left-hand side, uh, always an animal. And my parents tell me from the time I was in diapers, always an animal lover, uh, especially uh, dogs and horses. Always loved those two animals. Um, as I grew up, you know, um, remained a dog lover, was an athlete. Um, unfortunately, when I was 16 years old, I was working a first summer job and I was working for a contractor who happened to be a neighbor. And uh, the morning he picked me up to go on the job, he asked me if my father had a ladder that we could use on the job. And I brought a wooden ladder out, it was about 20 feet long. And he said, well, that's not long enough. We'll just use the ladder we have. We got on the job site. Uh, the ladder was a 40 foot uh, extension ladder, aluminum. And uh, we needed to, we were in New York City, um, in New York City, the houses are pretty close together. We were on the borough of Staten Island. Uh, houses are pretty close together. And where I was, they were particularly close to the street. And so we were painting a very high peak of the house. And it was one of those very old houses. And when we lifted the ladder, you know, I was 16 and the guy who was doing it with me was 17. And we lifted the ladder straight up uh, because there was a porch and you couldn't like jack it up over the porch. So we had to figure a way around it. You would usually lean it against the house and just jack it up. Right. But with the porch there, we couldn't do that. So we had to turn the ladder. It was, it was uh, perpendicular to the house, but we had to turn it parallel. And when we went to turn it, we were on the sidewalk, which is about probably 30 inches wide and then there was a patch of grass with telephone poles in them and when I lifted the ladder uh one of the rubber boots on the side on the right side kind of 
crushed. And the ladder just kind of became, uh, it started to move. And it couldn't, it went more than six inches and it hit power lines, oh. which, which we thought were telephone lines. Oh no. And uh, the electricity rushed through my body and I burned about 65, 70% of my body, wow. mostly third wow. degree burns. And uh, from there, uh, life became very different because at 16, wow. vanity is everything. And I was scarred from the top of my head with the exception of my face, thankfully to the bottom of my feet. Wow. So uh, life became different. And uh, when I was recovering at home, um, I had a young dog and his name was Toby. And he was part Labrador, but he definitely had something else, but he had the, the head and, and, and the snout, uh, the mesocephalic head with the broad skull and, and the pronounced stop that would be a Labrador and he was mostly one color black and uh, quite frankly uh, if it wasn't for him um, you know emotionally I don't know if I would have made it through uh, the way I did it's just a, a, a positive you know companion you know a companion to be there with me the whole time and so uh, I knew, you know, uh, I knew that a dog could um, help you. Yeah. Uh, as I uh, became an adult and started my professional career, um, I was succeeding in the banking industry and uh, was asked to move down to Charlotte uh, to take on a major role. And I did. We were here about two and a half years when my wife Sandy's father contracted lung cancer and uh, he died only a month after being diagnosed. Uh, my mother was suffering from chronic lymphocytic leukemia and she died about a year later. And in both instances, because I had moved our family down here for this job, my wife wasn't able to be with her mother to help for her father. And I wasn't, be the, I wasn't able to be there for my father and brothers to help with my mother. And so I went into a, uh, a spiraling depression. And um, my wife comes home one day because all I was doing was laying on the couch, um, medication. My wife comes home one day from the groomer. We had two uh, Las Opsos. And she says, you should see the puppy they had um, Leslie, who's the owner of the groomer shop we went to, was a breeder of Labradors. And she said, you've got to see the beautiful little chocolate lab she has. And now my wife had a plan. And, <laughs> Most you know, wives do, right? Yeah. And, and she said, you know, you, you've always loved Labradors. Well, you want to go see him tomorrow? I said, look, we have two dogs. You said you don't want another one. She said, well, why don't you just go see him? And I said, all right. And so we went down there and I looked at the dog and I loved him and uh, ended up, Leslie was keeping him um, to be uh, as a potential stud dog. And so she said, you can have him, I'll sell him to you if you keep him intact. And when he grows up, you allow me to, to breed him if he, you know. And so that's what we did. And 
you know, it was my first Labrador. But I should tell you, as I go back in my story, when I was 11 years old, my father was asked to take a position in Atlanta. Now, we were in New York. And we flew down to Atlanta uh, and uh, met my father's old superior, who now was running the office in Atlanta. And we stayed with them. And they had a Labrador retriever named Molly. It was a black Labrador retriever. And the whole week, all I wanted to do was spend time with Molly. <laughs> and, you know, I remember telling my mother and father, and there's a picture of me with this 1970s silk shirt on with a huge collar and these platform shoes with the bell-bottom pants, uh, <laughs> you know, bending down next to Molly. And I remember telling my mom and dad that someday I was going to breed these dogs. Oh, and okay. It, so it that, was, up, that wasn't a new thought. It ended up being prophetic. Yeah. Because uh, I never thought about it again. Right. Until I decided to leave my job and do something to serve others. Uh, because when I got hurt, so many people served my family and my mother and father to help take care of, you know, I mean, my mother and father were up at the burn unit every single day from eight in the morning to eight at night. But I had two other brothers that needed care. And my neighbors and friends would cook for them and make sure that they got to school and stuff like that. And so I, you know, I was very aware of the, the service that neighbors and the charity that neighbors had provided to my family in need. And so when I left my job, I kind of said to my wife, you know, what can we do? What gift do we have that we can use to serve others? <laughs> All we could come up with that we had in common was this love for dogs. And I'm like, is that a gift? Is that really a gift? <laughs> Turned out and to so, be, right? Yeah, as I was assessing that, I come across this uh, uh, article which cited research from a longitudinal study that was conducted by Paws with a Cause in Michigan. Mm, I, yeah, I know Paws with a Cause. I know people that train their dogs sometimes. And they did a study on the success of shelter dogs in service dog training. And what their study found was that only one out of 12 dogs in a shelter was capable of completing service dog training. Mm, okay, yeah. Yet, yet most of the organizations, service dog organizations, don't have a breeding program. The right. big ones do. Right. But a lot of these organizations are labors of love, mm -hmm. you know, and so they did, you know, knowing that statistic. And now there was another re a study recently. I just read an abstract uh, because the pause with the cause study was over 20 years ago. But the recent abstract I wrote found that when you take a dog from a shelter and put it in service dog training, it's the failure rate is still well over 80 percent. Mm. And so. What I got to thinking was, okay, Labrador Retrievers are the most popular dog for service dog training. Right. Um, I love the breed. Let's see if we can find some of the top breeders in the country and uh, see if we can uh, get them as mentors and maybe acquire uh, one of their bitches um, and begin breeding Labrador Retriever puppies from the the best pedigrees uh, for one reason, 
to donate them to these organizations that do not have a breeding program. Hmm. And so it kind of started out as a hobby. Uh, I didn't need to take an income because uh, from my accident, there was a financial award, which pays me over my life. So I was able to live on that. And so my wife and I started this as uh, as service to others, pure service to others, charity. Yeah. Um, which comes from our faith. And we we've been doing it, as I said, for many years now, we, you know, the seminal research actually on the impact of genetics on the social behavior of dogs was conducted by two uh, authors, John veterinarians, John Paul Scott and Scott Fuller. And what F Scott and Fuller found in that book, which was researched so many, I'm talking about 50, 60 years ago now. But uh, what they found was generally speaking about one third of what a puppy becomes as an adult can be traced back to genetics. Mm. Whereas two thirds could be traced back to the critical or sensitive phase of that puppy, which is, you know, four to 12 or four to 16 weeks. But I like to look at it as zero to 16 weeks. Yes. And so what we do is we take the best genetics, okay? And we combine them with a very structured nurturing and socialization program that starts at two days old with early neurological stimulation, which was developed by Dr. Marco Battaglia, who headed the US Army Superdog program. And he developed these six straight, uh, slightly stressing exercises because as you know, when a puppy is born, its neurological pathways are not complete. And so what Dr. Pataglia found was that if you do these six slightly stressing exercises, that it would lead to, and what you were trying to do, you'd only do these exercises for three or four seconds, and you're trying to kick in the puppies, you know, you're trying to slightly stress them to kick in that neurological system. Mm -hmm. And what his findings told him were that the puppies that went through that training as adults had stronger cardiovascular systems, stronger adrenal gland systems, but most of all for our work, they showed less reactivity to novel stimulus when they saw it. And so that became the basis of our early nurturing. From there, we developed or used a program and expanded on it called Puppy Prodigy. And Puppy Prodigy, uh, we begin when the puppies are about three weeks old. Uh, so their eyes are just about opening. They're not necessarily walking, but we take a makeup sponge and we put goat's milk and we let the puppy suckle it. And then we put it a, a, maybe an inch from the nose and then he moves. And then, you know, we do very little each day because he, so maybe we'll do one exercise each day. But, you know, by the end of a week or two, you got the puppy doing circles. Um, you know, two weeks, you might be able to get the puppy to lift up and go on his back legs to suckle the sponge. So what we were doing essentially was luring the puppy, teaching how the puppy, teaching the puppy to lure and using positive reinforcement, the milk to, you know, reward him. Yeah. So you're and, training them essentially at that age. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're getting them ready for training, which is, yeah, and it's, is and as half the battle, right? Yeah, as soon as their eyes open and stuff, we, you know, we'll put them in a crate and let them suckle a sponge. 
uh, and then we'll increase how long they stay in the crate. But right from that, when they're mobile, then we go to, you know, marker training, which can be either a clicker or, or a yes or a word. Mm -hmm. you know? So we start that and we continue that uh, until our organizations come and pick them up, which can be anywhere after eight weeks. We don't let the puppies leave before eight weeks. We conduct the Valhard test, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Bob and Wendy Valhard developed that. We always conduct it on day 49. And uh, it tells us a little bit about uh, fear. It tells us a little bit about working drive. It tells us a little bit about um, how they react to uh, restriction, if you will. Um, like if we hold them up or hold them on the floor gently on their back um, and, you know, how they follow things. Uh, if we drop a loud pan, how do they react? You know, obviously you don't want them running away and cowering. The best score is if they kind of startle, but then go up and check it out. Right. And so we use all of this data to determine what puppies will be good for what. Some organizations train for autism. Some train for mobility, which the dog needs working drive. And so a softer dog might be great for a veteran with a psychiatric need. And when I say softer, doesn't have that real high working drive. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the dogs that have the higher working drive, they have to have an off switch too. Right, right. And, and yeah, so, not all know, dogs real, do. <laughs> yeah, the real Labrador Retriever bred properly and according to the history of the breed is a gentleman's hunting dog. It's a gentleman's hunting dog, which means the dog was bred to go out with its master, shoot an upland game bird, bring it back for dinner and be as happy sitting at the chair in front of the fire while its master read as it was out in the field working. Not this high driven dog that was meant to play contrived games. That's right. a different dog than, than the standard. Yeah. The standard, the standard also tells us what the dog should look like and why it should look like that. And, and that, that hallmark of the breed is the blocky head. And one of the reasons is that allows a lot of gray matter between the ears. <laughs> yeah. They're smart. Right. And so, you know, we, we, we do, everything is bred to a standard or to meet a standard. We don't just throw two dogs together. Right, There's right. a purpose. Why am I breeding A to B? Well, I'm breeding A to B because A's shoulders, I don't like the slope on them. They don't have the right angle. They're too straight up. But everything else about that dog is phenomenal. So I'm going to look for a bitch that has really well sloping angled shoulders to compliment. Or... Maybe I need size on a dog. Or maybe its top line isn't as strong as it needs to be because the croup drops off and the, and the hocks are underneath it, which means when it gates, it'll forge. Okay. We, we don't want that clipping. Right. And a dog breed is nothing more than a group of physical characteristics. Right. And that's what a good breeder breeds to. I put A to B to get the breed standard. I don't just right. say, you know, a lot of people say, you know, if I ask, why'd you breed that dog? Oh, she's a wonderful dog. She's got a great temperament. Well, that doesn't tell me anything because a Labrador retriever is supposed to have a great temperament. 
<laughs> what's ex what's extraordinary about the dog you bred? And that's what we look for. Extraordinary in the dogs we breed. Yeah. So tell me, because you weren't you weren't a dog breeder, you you never bred dogs. Nope. How did you get to this point then? Just by working with other breeders? Did you talk to other programs that bred dogs for service work? Like how did this all come about? Well, when I found the need, I began researching good breeders. And okay. uh, the woman I found was Sally Bell in Ohio. Sally has probably 300 champions to her credit. She's been uh, at the top of her game for, geez, Sally's in her 70s now. She's been breeding since 20. And what's funny about Sally is decade after decade, she's been at the top of the game. Okay. Never so these, these are confirmation show dogs or are they like working field dogs or both? No, they're, they're what they are and what they should be are dual purpose dogs. Yeah. Not only, not only will they live in the house quietly like a mouse, but they'll go out and hunt too. Right. My dogs will hunt until they're ready to drop, but they don't need to do that. Right. You know? So I, I, I got my boy who's a stud dog for us, Eli up here. He needs to go out every day. He brings me his ball. I go, Eli, find your ball. And he needs to play. He right. needs to get that work in. But then you come in the house, you don't know he's around. And that's yeah, exactly what down. he needs for a service dog. Yeah. Another yeah. reason a Labrador Retriever is great for service work is because their maintenance is insignificant. A Labrador Retriever can get mud on him, shake himself off, and get it off. All you have to do is hose him down. People with disabilities typically don't have high incomes. So if I have a golden retriever or, or a, a standard a doodle, poodle or something, yeah, I got to get that dog groomed every two or three months. And that's a pretty expensive thing to do. Yeah. With a Labrador, I take a brush and I can, if I'm proactive, I can groom them myself and give them a bath every couple of months because you don't want to over bathe them because then you dry the oils up. Um, and that's exactly what a person that needs a service dog should really have unless they have need a hypoallergenic dog. Right. And right. In, in that case, we can't help them. But that's a very low percentage of the people that want a service dog. Yeah. So tell me, practically speaking, how you choose the breed. I mean, this is kind of a veterinarian talking. So and most of the people that listen here are in vet med. How do you vet these dogs, I should say, for their hips and their, like, do you have a program where you, absolutely? you know, I know I, I did some volunteer work for leader dogs here in Rochester, Michigan, and they have a breeding program and it's very specific. So do you have veterinarians that work with your organization or how does that all work? Every puppy, every mother and father before it's considered, so the first thing is we assess it for about a year. The breeding stock, the breeding dogs. To see, yeah, to see, you know, what its confirmation is like. Gotcha. All right. If it doesn't show good confirmation, then it doesn't get kept. Right. But the ones that have good confirmation, okay, then before we consider them, they must go through an OFAI exam. They must go through OFA hip exam. They must go through OFA elbow exam. They must go through a tight cuspid valve or echocardio Doppler. And they right. must go through about 10 genetic tests specific to Labrador Retrievers, PRA, EIC, DN, CNM, HPNK, you name it. Okay. So they're very um, stringently tested. 
absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. And then the puppies, how does that all work? Like, do you, do you have people that house the breeding animals and then help you raise the puppies or is it, is it in, do you have your own building? Like, how does that work? No, you know, we do it all ourselves because. Oh, at your home, at your home? Well, our home is our facility. We have a, uh, we have a walkout basement that is 2,500 square feet. Okay. We've got a, a whelping room, an office. We've got a training room. And, you know, uh, we've got a room when the puppies are o- old enough to come out of the whelping room, come out and are set up in pens in the main room, which is about 600, 800 square feet. Yeah. So you have your own whole facility there. Right. Right. That's awesome. And then you walk out to about two acres of play fields. Nice. The puppies. So and then we have uh, like enclosed and covered areas for the puppies once they reach a certain age uh, until the organizations come and retrieve them. Yeah. So uh, that's where we are now. But uh, with the challenges facing the service dog industry, we're trying to do more. And so uh, we are now in the process of completing a strategic plan because, you know, our veterans are waiting three to four years for service dogs. Oh, wow. Still, huh? Well, they give you, Purina Dog Chow is, is now starting to see what would I've known for, for 18 years. Last year, there were 3 million veterans with PTSD. 1% of them got a service dog. Now, not all of them need a service dog with PTSD, although the research would tell you differently. I don't know if you're familiar with the research from Purdue University, which is one of the lead, it is the leading authority on the human canine bond. But I believe Purdue conducted their first research on the impact of a service dog on the life of a veteran, either in 2018 or 2019. And here's what that research found. That research found that a service dog placed in the life of a veteran with PTSD reduces the four major symptoms that lead to suicide. Hypervigilance, night tremors, outbursts of anger, and waking cortisol levels. Yet our veterans can wait. One of the organizations we donate our puppies to is Canines for Warriors in Florida. They are the largest service dog organization in the country. Last year, they had a four-year wait. Wow. I worked. That's too long. Two years is too long. Imagine you... Uh, when, Especially when person, if, you, if you're combating PTSD or suicide, right? Well, now, and here's the other thing. I mean, we've heard this number 22 a day, 22 a day. Um, there's a general, I forgot his name. He's just, he's with the American Warrior Partnership. They conducted a, a survey and they conducted it in eight states. They wanted to see what the veteran suicide rate was in these eight particular states. It was over 40 a day. So wow. if, if you extrapolate those numbers to all 50 states, the suicide rate's over 40 a day for veterans. And this natural medicine we call a service dog can save them. I have had veterans come up to me and tell me, you saved my life. I had one veteran come up to me crying, sobbing in my ear when he learned that I raised the dog that became his service dog. And he said, sir, I was a trigger pull away from taking my life. And I got this dog. Wow. I promise you, 
I will take the best care of this dog that it can receive. And I know he's going to take the best care of me. I had another veteran that we placed a dog that came through an organization we serve. He said, prior to getting my dog, I was on, I, I'm, I was on like 20 medications. I'm now off four for anxiety and depression. Four. Yeah, that's a lot. I've lost 52 pounds. And I am now advocating for service dogs for veterans across the United States. This guy, Brian McCready, who has our dog Chauncey through Fighters for Freedom in Laurel, Maryland, would have to drink three beers to get up the nerve to go out of his house to walk to the convenience store before he got his dog. Wow. Now he's going over the country telling people to get a service dog. This is how it changed my life. And just give an example. The, uh, the pass rate overall, even with breeding programs in the industry, I think would be around 50% because it's hard for these dogs to pass. Sure, it's a, it's a hard training program, right? Oh, absolutely. Fido's for Freedom in Laurel, Maryland has had 40 of our dogs and they've gotten the most of our dogs over the last 11 years. 90% of them have passed, 90%. Hmm. They will never ever go anywhere else for a dog than to us. So you're do obviously doing something right with your well, dog. It's all about, it's, it's all about the genetics. I mean, like, for example, it's hard for me to figure these things out, but we now know that the length of a telomere on the end of a chromosome, okay, the longer the telomere is on a bitch, generally speaking, the longer the pups will live. Really? So if I can afford that type of information, which my very small organization can't, I can start looking at breeding bitches with longer telomeres to produce dogs that will live longer sure. and work longer. Right. Right? Yeah. So we don't have that kind of money. Well, but, right. You know, these are the kind of things we research mm -hmm. to try to find out. Yeah. So, um, and we're on our fifth generation of dogs. So, you know, you, you couldn't look at the genetics, but once you start going back three generations, the coefficient of inbreeding on, you know, crossing that dog that was so great you know isn't going to have much of an impact so the, the hardest thing for a breeder you know the, the most important thing for a breeder to do is to look at their dogs and know their dogs know the dog in front of you is that a good breeding dog well does it stand up to the confirmation test if it does doesn't is the confirmation uh, shortcoming one that you know, isn't uh, a, a major joint, you know, like an angle issue or, you know, that's, that's good enough, you know, if its head is a little small, does that really matter? Or if its ears are too big, does that really matter? You know, it's, it's more of the angulation and, and that strong top line because a lot of, a lot of Labradors will get spondylosis. Right. You know, and, and that strong top line can prevent that. You know, you want a short couple dog to prevent that. So those are the things that I look at critically. You know, then you can also look at things like, you know, you, you know, you, if you want, a, 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 you know, if you're buying a Mercedes and it has that emblem on it, you want the Mercedes car, right? <laughs> right. If you're buying a Labrador Retriever, 
you should want the dog that fits the standard the best. And the challenge in our country, and the reason we have so many unwanted dogs is because you have what we call backyard breeders out there that just put any dog to any dog, and you got people going out and allowing them to, to buy these dogs on a motion. And then when the people can't keep the dog anymore because it was bought on a motion, oh, we don't take them back. If we ever sell a dog, which we try not to do, that dog has to come right back here if you can't keep it. So you have standards for the ones that can't be put into service. Like if you have some that just aren't the right well, fit we or how does that work? Yeah, it's not us who make the decision on whether the dog is kept because we're- Oh, it's the organizations out. that take them. But we do keep, gotcha. we, you know, so the recent challenges in the industry uh, are two. It, it, it remains to be finding quality dogs for some organizations. Right. Okay. Now the organizations are having trouble finding puppy raisers. They are the core. Uh, they are the core of the process. Right. Without puppy raisers, you can't have service dogs. Right. So what we're doing now is we're expanding our program. We are going to keep our own puppies until we reach a time where we can say this dog is 100% guaranteed to work for a veteran or this, that. Now we'll give it to the organization. Okay. So how do so, these organizations, how do they, how do you find them? How did they couple up with you? Is it I something went, that, that it just happens or tell well, me well, about I'll that. tell you what happened. We started with one organization in Connecticut, North Star Service Dogs. And then somebody saw, and then uh, she told us about Sally Irvin, Dr. Sally Irvin, who started ICANN. And Dr. Irvin started getting some of our puppies. Now, Dr. Irvin is well known and at one time was the interim president or was sitting in as president of Assistance Dogs International. And she started spreading the word. And before mm -hmm. we knew it, you had a high had, demand. <laughs> well, and at the time, you know, 2006 to 2011, me and my wife were funding this on our own. Yeah. And yeah so you didn't have donations going. More, more and more. And I'm like, what do we do? Right. And so we needed to become a nonprofit. Not that we wanted to. I didn't right. want to ask for money. Right. I was in sales my whole life. I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to work with Labrador Retrievers and produce great dogs and, and help our veterans and help children with special needs. Like I was a child with special needs who got the benefit of a dog. Of a dog, yeah. Right. right. Now, you know, to you know, and I don't know how this happens, but just to give you an example, my dog was a rescue dog. Mm -hmm. And he was great for about five years. And then he started developing aggression. Oh. We don't know why, right. but to other people. And, you know, if one third of what a dog becomes can be traced to genetics, and we know nothing about a shelter dog's genetics, and two thirds of what a dog becomes is based on that nurturing and socializing during that critical phase, and many shelter dogs don't get that benefit, then we're missing the two most important links we need to determine if a dog is going to work. Right, right. And so that's a big risk. Yes, it is. It's a big risk for a child with autism. Or So we are firm believers, you know, there, there are shelters out there and there are places for, for shelter dogs to go with families. 
that don't need a pure or don't want a purebred dog, but there are also a place for purebred dogs, and that is the uh, service dog venue. That is my professional opinion. I don't care um, if people tell me shelter dogs work. That's not the, you know, the question is, you know, because organizations do see this and some of them have moved away from using dogs in shelters completely, is that you do see some of these dogs coming back with anxiety, separation anxiety, or unfortunately becoming aggressive. And now you have to take that dog away from the soldier or veteran. Right, or right. And that doesn't right? go well, I'm sure. No, not at all. No. So, and that's why you have, you know, schools like the best CCI, uh, your company there in Michigan with you, pause because they have outstanding breeding programs. Right. I'm here to help the small guy that doesn't yes. have that. It doesn't, doesn't have, have that as an option. But I will tell you, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven organizations that are member of ADI, Assistance Dogs International, that call us for puppies. Okay. Even though they're part of ADI and they have a breeding co-op. Right, right. They just they need more. They may not have enough pups. Yeah. So they come to us. Wow. So. so tell me how you and your wife now keep this all afloat. Um, so, because now it's a, it's a, it's a charity, yeah. right? It's a 501c3. Yeah. It's a 501c3 organization. C3, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm in charge of it, the breeding. Um, we have employees that rear the puppies and then are out. So having puppies is great too because we can do a lot of ancillary programs. So we use our puppies to go into schools. We go to schools mm. for the blind. Yeah. We go into schools with children with special needs. And we also do what are called mental health days for corporations. We call them stress down days. That's awesome. And this, and this is a day because mental health in the workplace after pandemic has become very important. Of course. And so we bring a group of puppies into the workplace for a That's couple awesome. hours. They set us up somewhere and the employees get to come in and each interact with the puppies for about 15 minutes. Um, and if I had a dollar for every time, uh, we went to an office and they said, this is the best day at work ever. I wouldn't need to fundraise. You know, I know that's why we like fundraise. being vets. Cause we get to see puppies sometimes at work. Right. That's, that's right. my favorite day when I get to right. see a bunch of puppies. Right. And so, you know, to answer your question, you know, we, we don't have any big names or, you know, helping us. Uh, we're a grassroots organization that could do so much more. Uh, we've got a good board now. Um, you know, the ultimate goal, doctor, is to create a campus where our veterans who are waiting can come mm. and under the care of a counselor and psychologist work with our puppies and get the love and affection of a dog that they are helping train for another veteran while their dog is being and we're trying to find people who believe in us and yeah. believe in that. In that mission. Um, in that mission. Yeah. Uh, I dream of a place where children with special needs can come with their parents and, you know, have access to um, any things they may need while out, but also uh, be able to interact with puppies and um, 
you know, uh, if maybe we have dogs that aren't going to be service dogs and a child with a special need might not rise to the level of a need for service dog, maybe a skilled companion, a dog that has proven itself, comes from the best pedigrees and has shown that kids can pull its ears in a school and pull its tail and it's never going to do anything. Right. Lay there. Yeah. And, and then we have a dog for them potentially. That's amazing. That's what we want yeah. to become. Yeah. That's what, and we want to build that. United States Service Dog Breeding and Training Center right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Nice. To help our veterans get what they need. Now, these guys went out there. We deal mostly in the veteran realm, kind of moving only towards combat veterans because these are the ones that saw the carnage. Right. And need the dogs. And need it, yeah. Right. And so this this kind of vision is 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 to help more people uh to try to stave off that thought of you know i don't have a purpose or or i can't take this anymore right because once because once they become spot responsible for a living being okay think about what what they are when they go out in combat they're responsible for every other guy in that group right yeah okay and then when they come back there's no one now they go home, there's no one. Right. But if they get this animal that is caring for them, now they got a reason to get up. They got a reason to get out. They got a reason to exercise. Stay healthy. Yeah. We're trying to make that more available to our veterans. And what happens, unfortunately, because our veterans have to be the priority, you know, there are a lot of organizations that just focus on dogs for veterans. Right. Then there's organizations like CCI. They're so big that they can provide dogs for veterans, mobility, autism, et cetera, et cetera. Then there are groups that just help kids with autism. And so each organization may need a different kind. Like if there's a like Blue Path Service Dogs for Autism founded by Dr. Jody Sandler, um, he, you know, they teach dogs uh, for children that have autism that bolt. And they tether the child to the dog. The, the parent mm-hmm. car- carries the leash, but the child right. has like a fake leash and they're tethered to the dog. You need big dogs for that. Big male dogs. Pull the kid back, yeah. So the, yeah. So uh, for them, they try to get, we try to get them big male dogs. And so when I breed, you know, if I have, you know, the top side of the standard is 24 and a half inches for a male, 22 and a half inches for a female. I want to be right at the top of that standard on both sides of my uh, dogs in that breeding, if I can, if I'm breeding for for that purpose, that purpose, but also right. for veterans that need bracing because they've lost a limb. Right. And a lot of our veterans that have lost a limb deal with traumatic brain injury. And um, they also deal with uh, uh, PTSD. Right. So every, you know, you have, to, you have to look at who, who needs the dogs, who, who needs the dogs, what organizations. Um, right now, I'd say 85% are organizations for veterans. Okay. You just can't get enough dogs out. Well, there's a lot of veterans, right, that have suffered yeah. a lot of, a lot of oh, different yeah. tragedies. And, yeah. you know, you, you started the, the story about how you had a big tragedy in your life and how the dog saved you several times, yep. more than once, yep. right? I have four Labrador you... retrievers in my house right now, Doc. 
That's awesome. <laughs> and I couldn't live without them. Yeah. Couldn't live without them. So before we get too close to the end, um, tell me a little bit about the movie, because I, I read about okay. that. And okay. somebody might want to go check it out and um, get yeah. some more information about you and, and your story. Okay. So um, first of all, if they want more information about our organization, uh, www.project, P-R-O-J-E-C-T, the number two, and heal like heal a wound, H-E-A-L dot org. You can find everything there. Uh, my book is Seven Lessons for Healing the Hurt. You can get that on Amazon.com, and I go through the tragedies I've had and kind of simmer it down or call it down to seven things that were practical that I thought someone could do to, to help them rebound. Yeah, that's, that's amazing because everyone needs that, right? Everybody's yep. had tragedies in their lives. Yep. On different and levels. You've had some big yeah. ones, but yeah. yeah. I mean, losing a loved one close to you can be a tragedy sure especially if it happens you know suddenly correct yeah um but the movie is charlie scars uh it was filmed in 2012 inside of the indiana women's prison as well as here as project to heal and at some special schools for children with special needs in that film uh we went into the indiana women's prison where they train uh dogs they raise puppies for the indiana canine assistance network and in that film, I came into contact with Melinda Loveless. Melinda Loveless and three other girls were charged with the murder of 12-year-old Shonda Shearer back in 1990. I remember it that was, story. It was a horrific, yeah. horrific murder. Now, we had the right to, uh, all of the inmates signed something or released that we could interview them for the movie. And when I found out now, now I don't know how you, if you know how Shonda was burned, uh, killed, but she was burned to death. It burned. I think, yeah, I think I did hear that story. I don't yeah. remember and, all the and, details, but I do a, remember. And you're a and burn a, victim. And I went in there with the purpose of that interview was to try to crucify her. I bet. And That's a horrible thing to have to go through. And God just smacked me across the face in the middle of the interview, and He said, "Don't you judge. Mm. Let me be the judge." Right. And so what I did was, I don't know how it happened, but how, you know, how, how do we explain things that happen with God? And he said, told me to ask her if she wants to train a dog for her victim. I had just seen her mother three weeks earlier with another one of the young women that was part of the murder, Hope Rippy, who really didn't take place in the killing and was out after 10 years. Wow. And she was face to face with uh, Mrs. Uh, Vaught, Jackie Vaught, Shonda's mother, uh, in this Dr. Phil interview. And what Jackie Vaught said was, the only thing I've ever asked for was for you guys to show remorse. Now, I had just been in the Indiana prison with Melinda. And all she told me was how her whole life now is is thinking about Mrs. Vaught and, and every day she wakes up to what she did. And so I asked her, I said, do you want to train a dog for, and I, and so when I left the place, you know, the prison, I'm like, what did I just do? I asked this. <laughs> how am woman, I going to make this happen? How am I going to make this happen? And does the mother even want it? 
Right. Yeah. Training a dog. So, so the producers got somehow got the cell phone number of Mrs. Vaught, Shonda's mother. And I called her up and I got to tell you, I was as nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. I bet. And I talked to her and she's, and I named, I said, Melinda Love. And who are you? I said, Melinda Lovelace. Who are you? What do you want? And so I got her to calm down and I told her what Project Heal was. And I told her, I would like to come and show you an interview. I saw you on TV on Dr. Phil. And I think I have a video with Melinda Lovelace that you would like to see mm. if you want to see remorse. And so as, as that's captured in the movie and I'm talking with her, she decides, well, I'm not going to give you the ending. Okay. I'm not give you the ending. <laughs> We have to go but watch you, it, right? The only place, you know, I got to figure out how to get it on Netflix or something like that, because the only right. place you can get it is if you type in the word Gumroad, G-U-M-R-O-A-D, that's an online purveyor of movies and stuff. Okay. If you type in Gumroad and then Charlie Scars, you'll find it. You'll find it and you can okay. rent it for 99 cents. Awesome. Okay. It sounds really interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, uh, I had a national recidivism group say that that your action was probably with the, with the animosity between the mother and how her daughter was murdered. Right. And, and, and the one who, and what you did was unbelievable. And yeah. I, you know, it, I didn't do it. God did. Right, right. God told you to you know, do it, right? And my faith is everything for us. That's why this ministry is based on 1 Peter 4.10, which says that we all have a gift given to us by God that we should use for those others in need. Mm, and yeah. my gift is my intense love for Labrador retrievers. Isn't that amazing and, that you can take that love for animals and turn it into a mission? Because I, I really, I think that's true of a lot of our veterinarians out there. Oh, it, absolutely. It's a mission. They just don't, under, they just don't realize it sometimes. Nope. That it's their nope. life mission and that they were yep. meant to be here to do this. I, I can't tell you, uh, you know, uh, I, I got a dog with myasthenia gravis, very rare in Labradors. Right. Um, and when he was three weeks old, he started regurgitating his mother's milk. And so, but he would still try to, you know, at that age, they're still crawling around. So you don't know who can't walk. And right. he was crawling around and he was getting up and falling down. I just thought he was normal. But then the milk started coming. I brought him to the vet and uh, they took the x-ray and they saw the mega esophagus, which is typically secondary to myasthenia right. gravis. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the vets there said, you can do this. You know, you can do this. And I got to tell you, it's, he's been on Meston on his whole life and he can't play like the other dogs. And we have to build him a Bailey chair. But that dog loves me like no other dog. And I love him like no other dog. Yeah. So it was meant to be, huh? He was meant yeah. to be yours. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So I, one last question, maybe. Sure. Um, do you have, besides what you just said, because I think that you kind of already answered this question by saying all that, but what life advice would you give to someone 
who's struggling with something tragic like you did in your life and how to pull yourself through it. Because I know a lot of people struggle and it Mm -hmm. sounds like you've had enough of those experiences to kind of know what the answer is, or at least some of the answer. And I know part of it is your dogs. Well, here's what I'm going to say. And it comes from my faith. A lot of times people want to help us when we are struggling with something Mm. and our human inclination. And as Americans, (laughs) we are self-sufficient or at least we want to be in everything. Right. My first advice would be say yes. Perfect. Yeah. Say yes. Take the help help. if it can help you. Say yes. Right. Because you don't know if, for me as a Christian, I don't know if that piece of help I give that person will be the one thing that gets me to heaven. Truth. Yeah. Right? Right. Maybe I did this little thing and it's the one thing. Maybe that's the thing God put me on the earth to do. Right? Right. So please say yes, because there's someone out there, you know, that can help you. The second thing is, 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 is surround yourself with a good support network. Um, Especially I'm talking to our veterans now. So much or so long that this, this anxiety and depression has been given a stigma. Right. The other day we went to uh, USAA, which is a provider of like insurance and banking services to veterans. We did a stress down day. And, um, you know, 27% of their employees um, are, are veterans. And I got to talk there. And the organization had this poster board out. And it showed by ethnic group, not by, not by veteran, just by ethnic group, by age, people in the United States that suffered with depression, anxiety, and the numbers, obviously, as a group, veterans have a much higher incident. But if you look at the incident of anxiety and depression among you know, the general population, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Please go get a good support group. Talk to people. Uh, Just uh, if if you have a hobby, engage. It's hard when you're depressed and when you have anxiety to do the things that provide you pleasure. Talk to somebody, please. There's help all over. You can do it. There is hope, but don't think hope is you having to do everything yourself. Right. There's a lot of people that want to help. Hope. I hope in my own ability. That's not really, you know, that's a really Greek or pagan vision of hope. Hope, from my perspective, is the humility and understanding that I can't do everything myself, that there's a greater being who's got me. Right. And, and if you're so inclined, 
you know, uh, if you're not a person of faith, there are support groups, Christian support groups that can help you too. Sure. Reach out. We want to help. I'm here to help. I'm, I'm so proud, you know, of our organization. I had a veteran, a vet come here. Let me say veterinarian. I had a veteran come here one day. <laughs> they're both, they're both wonderful, right? Veterans yes, and veterinarians. Right. Yep. They, you know, I had a veteran come here one time. He was, when he walked in, he had to get down on his knee and he was grabbing his head. He was sweating profusely. And I said, are you all right? Are you all right? And he says, yeah, I'm sorry. It's my PTSD. And so I got him inside in the air conditioning. It was summer. I sat down with him and he said, I've been looking for a service dog. And I go to all these organizations and it's all about, you know, this and that and, and money. And I said, I said, it's okay. It's okay. I want to help you. I will get you a service dog. And he left that day and drove back to Tennessee and he wrote a letter to SOCOM, which is South, uh, I don't know, Southern Operations Command Center or something like that. It was a glowing. And what he said in that letter was, I went to this organization and I've talked to many. And this man that I talked to never talked about money, never talked about an application process. He just said, I'm going to help you. And he did. Yeah. And that's the and best that sentence you can say, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's and, and that's what we try to do. And like I said, right now, uh, we're trying to develop what we call the healing army across the United States. You'll okay. get a special hat, special <laughs> hat, healing army hat, the army of compassion for our veterans. I love that. And, and I'm trying to find regional ambassadors uh, that are willing to do a golf outing or a bowling event or a darts night or have people uh, give monthly to us so that we can build an army that is protecting our veterans who need service dogs. I love it. So, so I, I, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm so impressed by what you're doing and it, it's so valuable and it's so important and I'm really, really thrilled that you were willing to come on and tell your story yeah. and tell about your organization, because I Thank bet you. you reached some veterinarians out there that that this would be right up their alley and sure. exactly the thing that they need to build their own purpose and, sure. um, you know, sure. help out with your organization. So yeah. tell me one more time. Give me the website again one more time in case somebody's sure. listening and they it's did write it down. WWW, of course. Project, P-R-O-J-E-C-T, the number two, heal, H-E-A-L dot org. You can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook by the same name, Project F. We have videos that you'll love, training videos. Um, You'll see me, uh, I I save a puppy that was stillborn after about 10 minutes of resuscitation. There's, that video has tons of views. I bet. Um, So, uh, yeah, I, I am you know, just so appreciative because people like you, Doc, allow me to create awareness for what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And the more awareness we can create, the more uh, people that say, hey, you know what, I want to help. And that's just one more or two more veterans that we just might save. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And every little bit, even 
even things you don't know about, right? You save people yeah. just by talking like you did today. Somebody that's yep. hopeless is going to get yep. hope from just hearing you speak. So I, hope so I appreciate this so much. It was really fun. I, I hope yeah. that we can keep this relationship going. Absolutely. I think veterinarians, veterinarians can be like all into this project. And I yeah. told you, I think before we got on the, on the podcast that I've always loved training dogs and service yeah. dogs. So mm-hmm. this is right up my alley. So it's been really fun meeting you, Charlie. And Same here. I hope that we get to talk again. Sure. Thank you, Doc. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, and everybody have a beautiful out week. There, for all of your veterinarian listens, uh, listeners, thank you for what you do. You are very important uh, to us animal lovers, even for the simple pet. Um, our animals mean the life to us and the world to us, and without you doctors, it wouldn't be possible. Thank yeah. you, and God bless all of you. Thank you so much. Yep. Thanks, Doctor. I love it. Well, I'll leave it at that because I couldn't have said right. it any better. All right, thanks. All right, have a beautiful week. Bye, everyone.